Chapter Seventeen of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter Seventeen. A Plain Understanding. Well, he said again as the door closed after Erskine, I received your letter with its enclosures, which were as clear as the reports of professional detectives, and reminded me somewhat of them. What do you gather from it all? What are the reports, and from what source do they come? I know very little, Judge Burnham, save what that letter tells you. People do not speak plainly to me. The air seems to be full of vague rumors. Even Mr. Satterley, as I told you, is disposed to offer a warning. Even Mr. Satterley, you speak as though he were the last person from whom you would expect propriety. We, as a family, seem singularly unfortunate in our choice of friends. None of them suit your tastes. What does Satterley mean? At least you could question him. You are mistaken. I was less willing to question him than I would have been some of the others. He did not choose to enlighten me further than I told you. And by this time Ruth had decided to say nothing about that letter from Marion, which lay hidden in her pocket. What did it tell more than he already knew? Judge Burnham shook himself impatiently, as though he would give much to shake off the whole disagreeable subject. I suppose I must look into the rumors, he said, taking long strides up and down the room. I worked myself into almost a panic last night, thinking it over, and rode all night, and lost perhaps a thousand dollars or so by not stopping off at Shoreham. I had a sort of impression that there might be a crisis pending, though I am sure I don't know why but the reports were so vague as to afford ample food for the imagination if one gave them any hearing at all. I suspect I was foolish to notice them. But tomorrow, after I have looked into matters at the office, I shall see if I can find out whether it is a case of blackmail or simple meddling. It is hard if a man cannot have one evening of rest in his own home, Sunday at that. Seraph really coughs dreadfully. I'll have Westwood come out in the morning and see her. Don't delay another day, said the warning letter in Ruth's pocket. She drew it forth reluctantly. I have nothing beyond what I wrote you, save this, which came to me this afternoon. I suppose you will attach no importance to it, however. He read it through hastily, his face glooming over it. Why didn't you show it to me at first? he demanded. How can I tell whether to attach importance to it or not? Unless Dennis is a born fool, he would not send such a message to a woman without having some show of reason. At least I will see him and demand an explanation. I'll go in on the next train. But Dr. Dennis will be in the midst of his evening service, Ruth said, dismayed. She hardly knew why. Well, evening service will not last all night, I suppose. If you had told me when I first came, I could have caught him before service began. Now I shall have to wait until it closes, and then wait for the midnight train, I presume. Pretty hard on a man who has been traveling every night for a week. Judge Burnham was rarely so ungentlemanly as this. He must be very much worried, Ruth thought, and she busied herself without further words in certain little attentions for his comfort. His last words as he closed the door were, Seraph ought to attend to that cough tonight. Tell her to take some hot lemonade and retire early. 
I'll have Westwood call first thing in the morning. But Seraph came to the dinner table, half an hour afterward, looking not at all ready to retire. She was in very rich evening costume, of the subdued sort that the fashionable world assumes when it wants to do honor to the proprieties of the Sabbath, and yet be as elegant as possible. "'You are surely not going out to-night!' Ruth exclaimed, rather than asked, noting the flush on the cheeks which was deeper than health produces, and the quick movement of the hand to her side when she coughed. "'I surely am. If you were musically inclined, you would know that to-night is the great treat of the season at St. Peter's. Where is Papa? I thought he would want to hear Fenwood sing.' "'He went to town on the six o'clock train, though I do not think he will attend St. Peter's. But, Seraph, really, excuse my persistence, but you look ill enough to be in bed. Your father heard your cough and was troubled. He wished me to ask you to take hot lemonade and retire early. Seraph laughed musically. I shall probably retire early, quite early tomorrow morning, unless we are so fortunate as to make the eleven o'clock train, and I do not suppose we can. It is a long drive from St. Peter's to the station. Ruth was so thoroughly convinced of this danger of venture into the chill night air, especially as a sleety northwest rain had set in, that she attempted a further remonstrance. If I were Mr. Satterley, I should protest earnestly against this exposure. Seraph, I am sure your father would not approve. He said he should call Dr. Westwood early in the morning. Mr. Satterley knows better, Mamma, than to interpose authority. Even married women do not obey unless they choose, as you will certainly bear me witness. And as for failing in hearing Fenwood sing, just because Papa is nervous about a cough, is not to be thought of. I should go to-night if I were sure of taking so much cold that I could not appear again this season. Judge Burnham did not return on the midnight train. Ruth's cathedral clock told three just as he entered her room. His state of mind the next morning might have been described by Mr. Satterley's word, glum. He made not the slightest attempt at conversation, either in his room or at the breakfast table, and in reply to Minta's statement that Seraph was not able to lift her head from the pillow, said he was not surprised. That she was alive was the only matter for astonishment there could be this morning and so far forgot himself as to add, even in the presence of Robert, who was waiting on the table, that he should think if there had ever been any justification for interference in the plans of the young ladies, it would have made itself apparent last night, that he was simply amazed when he saw Seraph in town. Then he turned to Minta, before she had calmed the gleam of merriment in her eyes over this public rebuke of her stepmother, where were you before you joined your sister at St. Peter's last night? Why, I was in several places. I lunched with Allie Powell, and went from there to hear the anthem at the Clark Place Cathedral. With whom? Why, Papa, with the one in whose charge I was, of course. I stayed in town on Saturday with Elise Farnham. Robert, said Judge Burnham, suddenly returning to the proprieties long enough for that, we do not need any further serving. Mrs. Burnham, can he be excused? Then, before the door was fairly closed after him, That answer does not enlighten me as to your escort? Why, Papa, you know surely, without my telling you, that I was with Mr. Hamlin. Did
didn't you see us together? Did you leave home in his company? No, sir, certainly not. I told you I went home with Elise Farnham on Saturday. She was here to lunch, and I went into town with her. And met Hamlin at her house? Yes, sir, he was there to dinner. By appointment, I suppose? Minta's face had grown unbecomingly red under this fire of cross-questioning. At last she spoke. Papa, what does all this mean? What if I had engaged to dine at a friend's in company with other guests? It is nothing more than I do constantly. I do not understand you. It means that you have been warned several times during my absence against this particular young man, and that you have chosen to pay no attention to the warnings, though they came, some of them, from a source which I should not suppose any young lady of intelligence would overlook. It also means that you are to have nothing to do with this individual from this time forth, neither to dine with him, nor ride with him, nor speak to him if he presumes to call. Evidently Judge Burnham did not understand his daughter. Papa, she said, speaking steadily, though her face had now grown very pale, I do not know what right you think you have for ordering me about as if I were a child. I obeyed you like a slave for years, I know, and I trembled before you, even at a time when you were treating me in a way that the commonest kitchen girl does not expect. But that time is past. I discovered long ago how insufferably I had been treated, and although you have done what you could to make me forget it, I have not. I can tell the story very distinctly if I have occasion, and if you expect the slavish obedience to your orders that you used to receive when I had been kept in such ignorance that I did not know my rights, you will be disappointed, for I am of age and shall do as I please. If he did not understand the character of his daughter, neither had she correctly gauged him. The angry and insolent address had the, to her, unexpected effect of quieting his outward excitement. The habits of years resumed their sway. He was again the watchful, wary lawyer who had an enemy to hold in check, and interests to guard. Really, he said, and a half-quizzical smile was on his face, ought I to apologize, do you think, for forgetting that I had a young woman to deal with? instead of a naughty child who deserved punishment? I had for the moment forgotten the lapse of years. I will order my speech more carefully. You are of age, it is true. So, you will remember, am I. And this is my house, and the funds that enable you to live your free and hitherto apparently satisfactory life are mine. You are at liberty to choose. If you prefer the society of those whom I utterly disapprove, you will seek that society outside of my house. Neither need you return to it after having enjoyed yourself among your chosen friends. Since you have chosen to refer to the past in a manner that would almost seem to cover a threat, I will admit that my memory is also good, and that when I returned after a prolonged absence abroad, to find that you were utterly unfit, mentally and physically, for companionship with me, I did the only thing I knew how to do, furnished your guardians unstintedly with money, and left you to yourself until my wife appeared on the scene, and showed me what years of careful training could do to make you fit companions for people of culture. If you prefer now to prove that we were both mistaken, and that your preferences are for the low in character and the degraded in life, 
You will, of course, be at liberty to make the facts as plain as you choose. The social positions of Mrs. Burnham and myself are, perhaps, you are aware, quite equal to any strain that even you may put upon them. After this very plain understanding, I will take the trouble to add, what you hardly deserve, that I have convinced myself of the utter worthlessness of the person under discussion, as I would have taken pains to show you had I not felt, because of knowledge that came to me last night from outside sources, that you had already received warning enough to satisfy any reasonable woman. But I will add mine. The stories that you have heard are undoubtedly true, and more are true than you know anything about. The man is not fit for a respectable woman to acknowledge with a bow. If, even after your exceedingly improper language this morning, you conduct yourself properly, we will let the memory of it drop, and your position in our home shall be in the future what it has been in the past. You are at liberty to choose. You will observe that, after all, I have not acted the part of an excused guardian to a young woman who was of age, but of an indulgent father, being willing to condone even almost unpardonable insolence, because I attribute it to the undue excitement of the moment. And now I trust we fully understand each other. He arose as he spoke and turned toward his wife. I beg your pardon, my dear, for this long detention at the breakfast table. Do not expect me to luncheon. We are on the eve of an explosion in the business world, which will bring ruin to both character and bank accounts in certain directions. I found last night that this matter involved more than I had imagined possible. I will send Westwood out to look after Seraph. He had talked himself into apparent good humor. His parting bow and good morning to Minta were, if not fatherly, at least courteous, and he only smiled when she vouchsafed no reply. She will come to her senses when she has had time to think, he said to Ruth, who followed him to the hall with a face full of anxiety. I had no idea she was so full of fire. I am afraid, my dear, you have had more to bear from her than I had imagined possible. But this miserable business, when we are well over with it, will be beneficial to her, perhaps. The scoundrel will be safely lodged in prison before many days. Oh, yes, it is as bad as it can be in every way. The misery of it is that our name must be dragged somewhat into the slime. I had no idea she was so much in his society. If your friends had not been so afraid of their communications, we might have kept ourselves out of the denouement. I can furnish my lady with particulars by tomorrow, which will startle her. No, money will not help him. In the first place, there is none. He has involved his uncle in utter financial ruin. Don't be alarmed, in answer to his wife's anxious suggestion that he did not yet understand Minta, that she might be on the verge of some desperate step. I understand her well enough to know that she will hardly take any steps today. She is not an idiot. She has plenty of Burnham blood in her veins. Angry she is without doubt, but solitude and time for reflection will compose her nerves. But Judge Burnham, if she should really be attached to the man, how can you know what influence he may have over her? I wish she was to be in your care today. Attached! Nonsense! She is attached to his fine horses and the gay life he has shown her. And her pride is roused. 
that is the extent of the mischief. Besides, the man will be too busy today to think of her. I tell you, there is to be an earthquake which will take him off his feet, and he is unprepared for it. However, I will add a word of emphasis to quiet your fears. And he opened the dining-room door again. Minta had risen from the table, and was standing at the window with her back to the door. My daughter, he said, his voice a trifle kinder than it had been before, I trust you fully understand me that if you choose to remain under my roof and look to me as your father for protection, you are under commands to have no communication in any form with any person by the name of Hamlin or with any person connected with him. I will explain more fully to you after a day or two. She neither moved nor in any manner indicated that she had heard a word, but the moment the door was closed, she turned toward it a pair of flashing eyes and said, Will you indeed? No doubt you will enjoy the explanation. End of chapter 17 Recording by Tricia G.